p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the mighty Metro. And uh, tonight uh, we uh, kick things off as we often do out in the markets. And joining me to take a look at the big stories coming out of the markets, joined by Akwan Amlamleli, Portfolio Manager out at 27.4 Investment Managers. Akwan, good evening to you and welcome. Good evening, Ayabong, and to the listeners this evening. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Can't complain. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me this evening. Good, good, good. Akona, let's maybe start out with some data coming out of the South African Reserve Bank. And uh, I was quite surprised, I mean, to what degree many of the reports made quite the meal of uh, this particular data print. Uh, of course, coming out of the uh, statement of assets and liabilities that comes through at the end of every month from the South African Reserve Bank. And the central bank suggesting that uh, if one compares the 31st of December 2022 to the uh, 31st of January 2023, so just one month, uh, that uh, we've seen our foreign exchange reserves increase by 863 million US dollars. Now, I did uh, some maths there. Uh, that's uh, around what? Um, you know, a few billions. Um, I think it was around 15 billion or so. But um, yeah, if we take uh, exchange rate at around 17 rand and 69 cents now. What do you make of this? And uh, I think for me, the big issue was it really isn't, I guess any trading-related matters that have mm-hmm. given rise to this, but um, has a lot to do with proceeds from borrowing activities. Correct, um, Ayabonga. And maybe just to provide some context to some of the listeners um, with the African Reserve Bank um, coming out, indicating that foreign exchange reserves um, in South Africa increased to a record new high uh, of $61.9 billion, um, in the month of January of this year, um, coming from about $6.6 billion in the previous month of December of 2022, um, with the latest figures mainly um, reflected from the proceeds from foreign borrowings, as you indicated in Ayabonga. Um, so approximately $327 million um, came coming from uh, KHW Development Bank, um, the rise in particularly the U.S. dollar, gold price that did take place in the month of January of this year, and also some valuation adjustments due to mm. um, the situation of the U.S. dollar and also some asset price movements um, that came through in terms of the, the stronger numbers that we saw. Um, but I think those factors were also partially also affected by foreign exchange payments um, made on behalf of the government. Um, as you indicated, some of the borrowings, uh, the $327 million, um, but also the $318 million, um, from the French Development Bank um, that came from the foreign borrowings that you mentioned earlier. And I guess the gold issue as well? I mean, um, more favorable um, price path for the gold price. And of course, we also do know that some of these reserves, rather than being held in U.S. dollars, also held in, in gold. Yeah, so the rise in the U.S. dollar gold price was also very much a contributor in this. Um, this obviously, the accumulation of the gross reserves um, building quite well for um, the country's import cover level. So the African Reserve Bank and many central banks um, like to keep some reserves in terms of the number of months um, of imports that can be covered with foreign exchange reserves. So some of these instruments that some of the, the central banks do hold, such as our um, African Reserve Bank, um, are, are the likes of your gold and currencies that we are speaking of, um, but also market securities, um, foreign exchange, um, like government, corporate bonds, um, and also some um, equity um, instruments that they hold. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess the, the other question that, um, you know, that arises from data like this um, is for the layperson on the street, it might be helpful when you talk about import cover to just talk about some of the big ticket items. What are some of the things month on month we would have to have some 
or enough reserves to cover by way of imports? Yeah, so, you know, um, government obviously issues some bonds um, domestically, but also internationally. Um, so having some currencies such as dollars and other currencies where mm-hmm. um, international investors have bought some of our bonds um, with regards to government bonds and other fixed income instruments. Um, so having some of the reserves to, to pay out should some of those, these bonds mature or come to maturity. Um, so having some of the, the, these reserves to pay, um, but also in terms of exporting and importing, just having um, that um, capacity reserves um, for paying out um, some of um, these investments that have been made in specifically in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess the 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 other element, and uh, if we were to leave this particular story just for a second and uh, head out uh, to the mining sector, I was looking at some data earlier on today, which I think would be helpful uh, for the benefit of some of our listeners. Uh, you know, yes, South Africa is a well-known mining destination globally, but um, so is that, you know, uh, the mining sector's contribution to our national output is probably a third of what it was close on what 40 years ago so in 1980 mm. it was at around 21 percent of the entire national economy it now hovers just shy of eight percent um but still very much a sector with linkages in secondary manufacturing and elsewhere in the economy and uh, in terms of lobbying efforts still a very vocal sector which is why when somebody like neil froneman says well we're on an investment strike and uh, we're gonna hold our fire uh, mm. it's something worthy of sitting up and listening to because they're one of the biggest uh, diversified players, but also have a, a balance sheet and uh, a checkbook that uh, could really, by way of investment, I guess, get us closer to some of these national targets. Yeah, correct. Uh, yeah, and I think um, coming to the story, we know um, South Africa accounts for 70% of the world's platinum output. And you previously recall that in um, about over 10 years or 20 years ago, South Africa was, was also quite a big player in the gold sector, but mm. unfortunately, the gold sector, unfortunately, has taken a very deep dive in the last few years, and you'll know with uh, some of these mines that have been left destitute, they um, are currently controlled by the Zamazamas um, at the moment, um, so that's the challenge we currently have. Um, so Neil Foneman in an interview indicating that um, some of the mining employers um, are initiating this mining strike, um, particularly investment strike, that is, apologies, um, with regards to some of the challenges that we are all very much aware of, um, mm-hmm. very much the power cuts, the black cuts we've seen in the last few years, um, and indicating that um, the sector, unfortunately, um, has no confidence, um, particularly in government, in addressing some of these challenges, um, mm-hmm. not only on the power side, um, but on the energy side, but also on the transport utility side, um, you will recall the manufacturing um, output for um, some of our resources um, declined um, quite excessively last year um, due to the strike that did take place. But um, these are just some of the challenges that they are highlighting, that they don't see government um, taking serious steps to um, alleviate and obviously making a business environment that's conducive for them to make further investments. So um, indicating that there will be halting further investments um, within South Africa and that will obviously have a trickle effect on employers and the sector going forward um, and may also impact us getting um, more goods overseas and also this hopefully doesn't end up like the gold out, um, the gold uh, story in South Africa. Um, but yeah, it, it is one of the challenges that they've highlighted that unfortunately um, the, the landscape, business environment um, is not conducive for business um, presently. 
Talking about an uh, environment that isn't really conducive, um, if we were to take a micro dive on some of the issues that you've raised, of course, Sasol, uh, we know they are the guys who produce, you know, via the Fisher Trough process, synthetic fuels and uh, plastics and polymers from coal. And uh, notwithstanding more favorable uh, prices, except for chemicals, of course, uh, they still uh, came out and gave some guidance to the market that their half yearly numbers to the end of December will reflect earnings declining somewhat between 0 and 10%. Uh, on the back of uh, supply chain constraints due to poor rail performance, knock-knock Transnet, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, unavailability of port infrastructure, Transnet, as well as some of the power outages, ESCOM. Yep. Yeah, it's a key theme across all the trading updates and company results that we are seeing um, year-to-date. Um, so the latest being Sasol um, coming out with a company trading update this morning um, ahead of their financial, interim financial results later this month. Um, coming out with um, some disappointing um, near-term and, and short-term and um, long-term um, performance, particularly for the company, um, indicating that they expect the first half of 2023 profitability um, from operational challenges to take a knock. Um, on some of the performance um, indicating um, their mining and logistic constraints that they currently have, but also the headwinds um, that we are all um, have, have spoken at length about, um, also indicating that they could further weigh on second half 2023 numbers, um, but indicating that the strike that did take place last year, where they had to um, declare force majeure um, on the chemical, on chemical exports, um, being one of the challenges that they faced last year. Um, if you recall, they had to scale back on operations on certain plants um, in Secunda and Sassel, um due to the strike that did take place last year. Um, but in terms of the numbers, um, Sassel expects um, earnings per share um, to come into about to about 10, not from 0% to 10%, uh, but also um, headline earnings per share is expected to improve um, by more than 95%. But um, they are highlighting just the key challenges that they are facing, um, particularly in the landscape that they're currently operating in. Um, they also indicated some of the impairments that um, that company had to impair um, during the last um and six months um, to the end of December 2022, um, indicating um, the company had to impair the Secunda Complex Liquid Fuels Unit um, by, by approximately $8.1 billion, um, this following adjustments of long-term price and cost assumptions um, in some of their numbers. But rewards this here in terms of later this month when they come out with the, the interim financial results later this month, um, how these numbers will fare. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I think the... The other element to to this particular story is, um, you know, to what degree, you know, can the state intervene to uh, deal with some of the additional cost pressures that come from finding alternatives? Uh, we're going to be talking about a story out in the dairy sector today, but uh, it seems uh, this issue of assisting firms and households to uh, look for alternative energy sources is something that is also keeping the commissioner of the receiver of revenue up at night because he is saying... Uh, while a wealth tax might not be on the agenda, we're probably going to have to think about what incentives we give to firms and to households, you know, to um, get off-grid solutions to their energy challenges. Correct, yeah. So the South Commissioner, um, in an interview with one of the financial advisory networks, um, coming out indicating that they have been in discussions um, with their colleagues and peers at National Treasury um, to review maybe additional measures um, to provide some relief um, and incentives, incentive rather, to um, individuals and households 
um, that are buying um, alternative power sources. Um, so um, no clear direction in terms of where that will go, um, but these are just the discussions that the two um, particular divisions are having um, currently, um, which could provide um, or alleviate some pressures, particularly on the consumer. Um, so mm. if there was tax incentives or zero-rated, um, particularly on some of the products, um, so, uh, some of the solar um, projects or solar resources, um, it could alleviate some pressures, particularly from the consumers that are able to afford. Um, but we know it's not affordable for everybody, so um, we just walk in this need to be cognizant of that, that the majority will still be very much dependent on its comfortable um, energy power. Mm, mm. And, and I guess the, the other element that of, of what the um, commissioner had shared there was, you know, they feel that, uh, uh, you know, coming from many years of uh, patchy, what I would call tax morality, where people were saying, aye, aye, this thing of, uh, you know, paying taxes, if, if I can afford to avoid it, let me do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're saying that there's a significant improvement in compliance. Uh, which uh, is allowing them to, you know, I guess get more revenue coming in, which might offset some of the decline in commodity prices that we've seen and, uh, you know, collectible revenue from many of the mining firms. Uh, What do you make of that? This idea that Mm -hmm. we can and ought to do more in terms of encouraging greater compliance uh, because that is clearly yielding something uh, according to the Commissioner of the Receiver of Revenue. Yeah, so I think um, maybe just on your first point uh, on the tax result, um, I think one of the pertinent points that he did come clear in, in his discussion was that um, the most vulnerable, particularly um, those that are very much dependent on grants, um, are very much the individuals and people in our society um, that are very much at extreme poverty levels that need um, taxes, um, the taxes that we all pay um, to get grants um, on a monthly basis. Um, indicating there's approximately 29 million people um, on social grants, um, not sustainable going forward, um, but we just do need to be able to um, protect um, particularly the segment of the um, of our society that is quite vulnerable. Um, so that um, tax revolt, um, he indicated that he would it would not obviously be a good solution. Um, in terms of some of the um, resources uh, at SARS, um, he did indicate that the um, compliance um, has um, improved, um, particularly from that era um, pre um, his um, his um, entrance, particularly and uh, um, at SARS. Um, so they have made highs, but unfortunately, um, government doesn't pay as uh, good as the private sector. So um, it is obviously quite a difficult getting key and um, skilled individuals um, at SARS. Um, however, they have improved some of the compliance and some of the operations. Um, but mm. also highlighting, um, coming back to load shedding, um, it will have an impact particularly um, with two sides and their ability to collect revenue. Um, and also just some of the companies, many of the small companies, um, having closed down um, as a result of load shedding. Um, and this could um, impact um um, SARS going forward, forward in terms of the collection, um, but indicating that he does not recommend um, people withhold taxes during this period um, as SARS has taken the necessary steps um, to get additional efforts in getting all these uh, all their money back, particularly from companies um, and those tax avoidance. Mm-hmm. Akona, always a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you very much for taking time out to speak to us. Thanks very much.